following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. And you see it. What? Can you see the glory of God? Can you see revival in Washington, D.C.? Can you see revival in your own heart? Can you see it? Let's pray. Almighty God, today I ask for the gift of eyesight for myself and for each person sitting in this sanctuary. For, Lord God, we need to see what you see, and we need to hear what you hear. Thank you, Jesus. Would you now pour out an anointing that in this small little fellowship, we could see. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Joshua had taken the children of Israel out of the desert right into Cana land. And then year after year, he had used the sword. He had used the authority of almighty God, and he had destroyed the civilizations that inhabited the Cana land. He had given the children of Israel homes that they did not build, vineyards to reap the harvest from. They hadn't planted. They rode on horses and donkeys that They had not trained. They raised sheep and cattle that they had not raised. They came in and took possession of the land. Imagine if you could walk into Washington, D.C. and say, which house would I like to have? Or take a drive through Potomac and say, which house would I like? They're all empty. The electricity's on, the water's on. They're waiting for somebody just to move in. And when you move in, all the furniture's there. No, I don't like this house. Thank you. I'll try the next one. (laughs) They weren't nearly enough to fill this great land. They got their pick of the houses. Now, as they walked into this land, they were astonished by the milk and the honey. They were, I mean, they were coming straight out of the desert. Suddenly, they had so many clothes to wear, they didn't know what to choose in their wardrobe. They had so many pairs of sandals. They had so much, they didn't know what to do with it. They were rejoicing and they were praising God for the abundance they had. They were praising God for the abundance of food that they were no longer eating manna three three times a week or three times a day. I mean, manna was the food of heaven, but how many different ways can you cook it? I mean, let's try oatmeal. 
oatmeal for breakfast. What are you going to do with it? Well, let's say, let's cook it. Well, what are you going to do for lunch? Well, let's say, let's fry it. Well, what are you going to do for dinner? Well, let's say, let's make soup. I mean, how many ways can you cook oatmeal? And the children of Israel suddenly weren't just eating manna. They had all the figs and grapes and the cheese and the meat, the fillets, the mutt, the rack of lamb. They had so many different options and they could flavor it with the currants or with the gooseberries. I mean, they were in heaven. And finally, Joshua is old. And he is told that his time to pass has come. And in the 24th chapter of Joshua, we find him assembling all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. Now, Shechem is a very important place. This is the place of the promised Abraham. This is also the place that Jacob had his family gather together and bury all of their idols. This is where Joseph received his training in holiness. This is the first place God began to call after little boy Joseph. Joshua has all of the people gather together at Shechem. Verse 2, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Long ago, your forefathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the river and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the river and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. You remember, he did that by faith. By faith, he received a son of promise. You remember, he also created a donkey son called Ishmael. And God said, I'm not going with you on your donkey son. I'm going with you on the son of promise. So whatever Abraham created was of the donkey sort, and whatever God created was of the promise sort. Of course, you have to ask, is your life made up mainly of donkeys or promises? I mean, I know we're not farmers, but a donkey doesn't run like a John Deere. Verse 4, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I assigned the hill country of Sur to Esau, but Jacob and his sons went down to Egypt. Then I sent Moses and Aaron. I afflicted the Egyptians by what I did there. I brought you out. I brought your forefathers out of Egypt. You came to the sea, and the Egyptians pursued them with chariots and horsemen as far as the Red Sea. But they cried out to the Lord for help. He put darkness between you and the Egyptians. He brought the sea over them and he covered them. He goes on and on. All the things the mighty hand of God has done for them. Now look at this. Verse 14. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land you're now living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered, far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our fathers up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed these great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. And Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. And I stopped right there and I said, wait a minute, Lord. I've preached this passage of scripture many times. You're going to have to give me a new revelation of this. I don't understand 
why a people would be called to the altar. And then the pastor would stand before them and say, I'm glad you've all come to the altar to serve God, but I'm sorry, you don't know how to serve the Lord. You can't serve him. You might as well go on back and sit down because you're not going to serve the Lord. On what is he basing this assumption? Is he just a grouchy old man? Or does he see something in the spirit? So I began to cry out to the Lord about this passage of scripture. The Holy Spirit began to speak to me. I want to tell you what he said. The children of Israel are standing before Joshua with all of their wealth. I said, yes, Lord. That's how we are in America. We come into the place of worship and we stand in the house of the Lord with all of our wealth. With all of our blessings. Which of us did not have a hot shower this morning? Which of us did not sit at a table and eat a breakfast? Which of us did not get into our chariots and drive at great speed to the house of the Lord? And so we come and we stand before the Lord and we say, yes, we will serve the Lord. And the Lord says, no, you're not. You can't serve me. Why? Because the children of Israel have come and stood before Joshua, looking at all of their blessings and saying, Lord, because you've blessed us, we will serve you. Because we have the land, we will serve you. Because you have given us food and shelter, because you brought us up out of Egypt, because of all the wonderful things you've done for us, Lord God of heaven, we will serve you. And Joshua knew that was not a ground upon which you could stand to worship the Almighty God. You cannot base your serving the Lord God of heaven on blessings or on miracles. There has to be something else. There has to be something greater involved. Now, keep your hand right there because we're not finished here. And turn with me in the scriptures to the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews. I'm going to begin reading for you in in chapter 3, verse 12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. But encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So there is a hardening that can take place in our hearts, a deceiving that takes place in our spirit. And he's saying, don't be deceived, don't be hardened. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly till the end the confidence we had at first. Now, you're getting the first hint of God's truth right now. We have come to share in Christ, not if we hold on to the blessings he has given to us. Does not say that. It does not say we have come to share in Christ if we hold on to his blessings. It says, if we hold firmly till the end, the confidence we had at first. Now, watch as he begins to unfold what this confidence is that we had at first. And if you don't have this confidence today, you will not continue to follow the Lord. Because a day is coming in this nation when the blessings are going to disappear. And if you're following the Lord God of heaven because of the blessings, you will be gone. Notice verse 15. This is Hebrews, the third chapter, verse 15. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all that Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for 40 years? 
Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the desert? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. Now, wait a minute. Did they have unbelief regarding their past blessings? No. All of the blessings they believed in. What they had no belief for was the future. Now watch chapter four. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the gospel preached to us just as they did. But the message they heard was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. It was of no value to them because those who heard did not combine it with faith. Now, what is this faith that's being spoken about? In other words, what they heard that was preached to them had no value to them, and the result was they did not enter into God's rest. Their hearts were not at peace. They were troubled. They were unhappy. They were angry. They were bitter because they did not enter into the rest because they did not combine the preaching with faith. So let's look now for a moment more deeply. Keep your hand in Joshua. We're coming back. But let's look more deeply into this issue. In the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we find in verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But that really doesn't tell us the story yet. We have to see it worked out in the life of Moses. And then we begin to understand that faith means something much deeper. Now watch verse 24 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasure of sin for a short time. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking. He was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. In other words, let's go back now. They could not enter into the rest of God because they did not combine the preaching with eyesight. They couldn't see ahead. They had no vision to look ahead and see what God was trying to accomplish. And so some of you come here today and you've got some problems you're confronted by. And you go to God and you can recount his blessings and you can say, yes, I should have, I should have great confidence in you, God. But somehow I just don't have the confidence. Somehow it just doesn't work for me. Because frankly, God, I'm not concerned about what you did for me yesterday. I'm concerned about what are you going to do for me today? And it looks to me like you're not going to do anything for me today. And so I've got this problem, God. And so we begin to pray our problems. No, God, this wife that you've given to me, if she just do what I want her to do. You know, if she just, if she just get it right, God. And these kids, Lord God, if these kids would just get it right, if they just grow up, if they'd stop taking my time and my money and my energy. And, and you know, God, this place I have to go to work, it's a slave camp. You know, and I hate this slavery. Why do I have to serve Pharaoh? You know, and on and on we go. 
Lord God, why are you doing this to me? And we pray the problems because we have no eyesight. Our hearts filled with unbelief. It's not hard to believe God for the gifts of yesterday. Now, I can stand here and bear witness that God has paid for the radio for five years. Well, God, I'm not concerned about the last five years. I'm concerned about the month of November. Now, I'm not concerned about what God did for my children yesterday. I'm concerned now about Heidi and this little baby. And is this, is this daughter of mine going to die or is she going to live? God, I've got a problem. Well, I've got a problem, all right, but the problem isn't Heidi. The problem is my eyesight. I can't see. You know, if I'm, if I'm greatly in debt, I'm struggling for every dollar. I don't know where I'm going to get the money to continue to carry the load, but I've got a lotto ticket in my pocket, and I just won the jackpot. A million dollars. Now tell me, you're going to see me walking around, dragging myself around saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. I just, man, look at the bills. They're just overwhelming me. Well, never mind. You got the lotto ticket in your pocket. And you'd say, well, go cash it. Well, no, I've got to have some time to feel bad about all my problems. You know, I just can't imagine winning the lotto. Never mind that I've got the winning ticket in my pocket. Frankly, I just kind of like praying my problems. It feels good to be a victim. It feels good to moan and groan. It feels good to feel bad. Some of you just feel good feeling bad. You wouldn't know what to do if you didn't feel bad. Woe is me. Woe is me. Look how bad it is. Can you see? Can you see it? You see revival. The children can. You see, Moses was able to put up with all kind of suffering because he could see the invisible God, and he knew where he was going, and he knew what the end would be. I see my problems, and I say, "It's obvious they're going to kill me. How can I die with a little dignity?" It's a tough road we got to walk. Now, come on. It's not a tough road when you know the end and you know the answer. The question is, can you see the answer? Are you willing to stand and believe that your marriage can be all that God called it to be? Are you willing to stand and believe that God has the power to heal every brokenness between you and your wife, between you and your husband? between you and your children? Do you believe that God can step into the picture and magnificently deliver you and he's simply waiting for you to get the eyesight? To stop praying the problem and start praying the solution. I said earlier in the prayer circle, passion comes from suffering. There's no passion for Jesus Christ. It's because there's no suffering for Jesus Christ. If you have no passion for your husband, you haven't suffered for your husband. If you have no passion for your wife, it's because you haven't suffered anything for your wife. If you have no passion for your workplace, because you've suffered nothing for your workplace. don't have eyesight to see. You have to begin to cry out to the Lord God of heaven. Give me eyes to see. The church message of Laodicea was that you're blind and naked and miserable. It's interesting that the first step was blindness because that brings naked and miserable. When you can see, you're no longer naked and miserable. He says, buy salve to put on your eyes so you can see. So that you can see what? So you can see what God sees. Very interesting for me to give you all a sheet of paper. 
just ask you to write down the five clearest things that you see today. Some of you would say, I can see that I'm in trouble. That's about all you can see. Some of you would have to say, I can see that I'm mad. Some of you would have to say, I can see that I'm cynical. I see that I'm isolated. Some of you would reach up a little higher and you would say, I can see that I have to make some choices. And then some of you who are giraffes would say, I can see God. What are you seeing today? What did you see that brought you to this house today? Now let's go back. Let's walk step by step through Joshua's word to these people. Joshua's challenged them. As for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. He is saying, for me and my household, we can see. But he's saying to the children of Israel, all you see are the past blessings. You don't see the future. And so you can't serve the living God of heaven. The people answered, far be it from us in verse 16. This is Joshua 24, 16. Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Notice the defensive note in their voice. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us up. It was the Lord God himself who blessed us and gave us all this good stuff. (laughs) We too will serve the Lord because we get our goodies from him. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. And by the way, that word means jealous, angry God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. And I said, what are those Hebrew words? What is the original? I've got to know. And so I checked. Literally, he will not forgive means he will not lift up or carry your burden. He will not lift up or carry. That's the word forgive that's translated in your Bible. Your rebellion and your sins. I said, Lord, what are those? So I looked them up. Rebellion is translated literally in your scripture. It is revolt against God. It is is that instantaneous rising up in your heart that says, I don't like this and I'm not going to go along with it. It's going to be my way this time. He's not speaking here about a consistent revolt. He's speaking here about that flare up and your sins and the word sins translated here in your Bible means Habitual, continual, constant sin. So Joshua is saying, the Lord God of heaven is no longer going to come and pick up the burden of your flare-ups. And your consistent sinning every day. That's why we continually call you to do away by the blood of Jesus with all known sin. Because Joshua is saying, the Lord God of heaven will not carry your everyday known sin. He'll be angry with you. He'll be jealous with you. He's not going to put up with you. And then the other kind of sin is that flare up. And some of you just say, well, I've got a hot temper. I just can't help myself. You make me so mad. Well, obviously, no one ever made you mad. If you get mad, it's because you made yourself mad. Did you know another human being doesn't have the ability or the power to make you happy or sad? 
we all get to choose our responses to how people come to us. And so Joshua is looking at this and he's saying, look, these flare-ups, you're responsible for those. That flash of bitterness, you're responsible for that. And those habitual sins that you continue to do, you're responsible for that. And God isn't going to come and carry that burden anymore for you. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sin. If you forsake the Lord, and I said, Lord, what's that word forsake? And literally in the Hebrew, it means if you loosen the Lord. If you loosen the Lord, that's the word. That's the root meaning of this word to forsake, to loosen. And it has a connotation. If you, if you cut the cords that connect you closely to the Lord, if you disconnect from the Lord God of heaven, If you say, I'm going to cut it off and I'm going to walk away and I'm going to be free. If you forsake the Lord, if you loosen the Lord and serve strange or foreign gods. And the word God is Elohim. Which you recognize is often used for the Lord God Almighty. He's saying you have strange gods, you have foreign gods. You loosen yourself from the Lord God Almighty and you go join yourself to foreign gods. He will, he will turn and bring disaster on you. And the word disaster in the Hebrew is literally translated. He will break you into pieces like a stick. And he will make an end of you after he's been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, you are witnesses against yourselves that you've chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua. And now listen, and he will tell you exactly what it is that blocks us from having eyesight. Throw away the foreign gods that are among you. Literally, the word throw in the Hebrew means to turn off. To turn off. To cut off. So Joshua is saying, turn off so that these gods can't communicate with you anymore. Don't allow them to speak into your life anymore. Some of you have sin in your heart that you're allowing to continue to speak to you. And it comes with its siren song. And it says, oh, how sweet it would be if you would once more come and dine with me. Remember my desserts. Remember how sweet it is to walk with me. And so like some prostitute lover, the sin comes to us and says, come on, honey, come on, honey, let's do it again. Joshua is saying, cut off that communication. How many times I've had to talk with men and women who are caught in adulterous affairs or fornication. And always I have said to them the same thing. If you want to break that relationship, break it, cut it off, and don't ever talk to him again. Oh, but pastor, you don't understand. I've got this relationship with him, and I have to get some closure here. You have to get some closure here? What about closure with the Lord God Almighty who holds your soul in his hand and can cast you into hell? And every time when the person has said to me, but pastor, give me a couple weeks so I can get some closure. They've left and I've never seen him again. Because they made their choice. They went after their love. Joshua is saying, if you would have eyesight, cut off that strange God. That is among you. And the the Hebrew word for among is very interesting. 
It is literally that which is at the very center of your being. So he's saying, cut off the communication of that God to the very center of your being. Don't let that God speak to your heart anymore. Cut it off. And then you'll have eyesight. Don't allow it any longer to sing its siren song to your ear. I mean, how many times you have turned away from a sin and then you have determined in your heart, I will never go that way again. And then suddenly you find yourself there with that sin again. And you're saying, you know, you're not so bad after all. Because the Lord doesn't expect me to be so rigid in my life. You know, it's okay if I'm bitter with my husband. It's okay if I'm bitter with my wife. You know, it just feels so good to be mad. Or, no, I, I know, I know it's not going to help me if I go sit down and watch this movie, but, you know, I'm just tired and I need some veg time. The Lord knows I need to just relax. The Lord knows I'm uptight. I need to just, you know, and that sounds like a clean movie. That sounds like a good movie. And I think I'll just, yeah, let, come on, let's do it. And after you've made that decision, you cannot reverse it. It has you in its clutches and it's dragging you. Many of you had a loved one. You said, never again will I do this person. Never again will I be with this person until the next time. Turn off the song of the devil. And don't allow it to penetrate to your innermost heart. And you will have eyes that see. And then he gives a second step that is necessary. The first step is a cutting off. The first step is a a limiting of the ability of this sin to speak to my heart anymore. It says, I'm not going to go where the sin is. I'm not going to step foot in the house of the sin. I'm no longer going to step into that control. I'm no longer going to step into that bitterness. I'm not going to step in anymore. I'm going to cut it off. I'm not going to let it speak to me. But there's a second step. This is Joshua 24, verse 23. Yield your hearts to the Lord. And I said, Lord, what's that mean? So I had to go back to the Hebrew and say, what word is used here for yield? The literal word for yield, as it's translated in our Bibles, in the Hebrew is stretch. Stretch your innermost place toward the Lord, the God of Israel. So on one side, he's saying, cut off all of the things you're stretching out toward. Cut off their communication to your heart and turn to the Lord and stretch yourself out. Stretch your hands out toward the Lord. Stretch your heart out. Stretch your eyes out toward the Lord. Stretch out toward the Lord. Take an active action. Take a a step toward Almighty God. You've cut off the darkness. Now don't stay and contemplate whether you're going to open the door to darkness again, but instead step out right now. If you wait, the conviction will be gone and the devil's song will be singing in your heart again. But instantly, as soon as you cut off this sound, turn to the Lord and let the song of the Lord begin to fill your heart and stretch yourself out toward the Lord God of heaven. And when you do that, you'll begin to have eyesight. 
blindness comes because we refuse to stretch toward the Lord and we refuse to cut off the darkness. The people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and we will obey him. I wish I could tell you that these people kept their covenant. They did not. Even these self-same people did not keep their covenant. Rather, they began to compromise with the Canaanites because the Canaanites were so determined to live in the land. Now, some of you like to think about your sins as being objects. You like to think about them as being passive. There's nothing passive about a sin. The Lord calls sin a roaring lion that comes seeking whom he may devour. So if you want to be passive with your sin, your sin will not be passive with you. And that's why the instruction is cut it off, turn it off, do whatever you have to to cause its voice to no longer be heard in your heart. That's an active posture that you have to take. You cannot be casual about this. If you are, it will come and devour you. You have to take an immediate step and cut that thing off and say, no longer will I listen, but your feet are stuck in the mud. And so now you turn and you stretch toward almighty God. And as you stretch toward almighty God, your eyes are open and you now begin to see what the Lord God of heaven has planned for your heart and for your life. You see a marriage together with love and grace and mercy. You see your children growing in the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the city of Washington, D.C. filled with weeping for its sin. You see the sign of God being worked out in the city as conviction begins to fall upon the hearts of men and women. You begin to see the things that God sees and you begin to act on those things. And so now as you are part of the National Prayer Chapel, and you you look at what God is doing in the city, suddenly that money that you hold on to, you begin to release into what God is trying to accomplish in the broadcast. You begin to release your time into what God is trying to accomplish. As you enter into your prayer closet, you're no longer stingy with your time. You don't hit your knees and get burn spots as you roll through the 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 prayer closet, because you can see what God is planning and you're entering in deeply with your finances, with your time, with your energy. Some of you are simply overwhelmed by everything that's happening in your life. I want to tell you why. You're always overwhelmed with everything going on in your life when there's not enough of God in you. If there's not enough of God, then everything else is too much. And you see, you've got to get a new vision of what God is accomplishing. And when you begin to see what God is doing and the eternal ramifications of what God is trying to accomplish in the city as he cries out for the nation, then then everything that you have begins to pour into what God is doing. And no longer are you hanging on and saying, yeah, I got my blessing back here, but I don't know what's coming over there, so I better hang on tight now. Instead, you release and you're open and you're flowing. There's no bitterness in your heart. There's peace in your spirit as you recognize God is doing something here and I'm having an opportunity to cooperate with Almighty God. How can I be a part now, God, of what you're doing? Suddenly, what's happening right now doesn't make any difference. It's not worth a hill of beans to you. 
It's not what's happening now that counts. It's what God is doing. That's what matters. And so I'd ask you today to deal right now with the bondage you feel in your spirit. Are you so in love with that bondage that you're going to keep it, put it on your dresser and look at it every day? Are you so enamored by your sin that you want to showcase of your sins? Are you willing to cut that thing off? Are you willing to just turn it off and no longer listen to it? To no longer listen to your circumstances today? But to enter into what God is doing. God wants to heal your sin. He wants to forgive you. He wants to pour mercy and grace into your life. He wants to do the same thing for you that he did for Moses. He's no respecter of persons. But it may take 40 years in the wilderness for you to get ready to do what God wants you to do. You know what I've said to the Lord? If you've got to keep me on the shelf all my life for one minute of serving your mighty name, It'll be worth it. But I dread the thought of dying, never having served you. Today, my heart wants to see what God's doing. I know what I'm doing. And it just doesn't count. You know, you leave me to my own devices and I'm going to try to build my castle right here. And I'm going to be the king on the mountain. And anybody who comes near, I'm going to try to toss down. How many times as a kid, I played king on the mountain. And I always played with my bigger brothers and their big friends. And I learned how I could be king on the mountain. I could wait till all the big guys took out all the big guys. And then I could scamper to the top of the mountain while they're thrashing on the floor and shout at the top of my lungs, I'm king on the mountain. I wasn't there very long until I waited my next chance of being king on the mountain. You know what? I don't want to be king on the mountain. I'm no longer interested in my circumstances. I'm no longer interested in my finances. I'm no longer interested in any of the things that touch my physical life. I am interested in what the Lord God of heaven is accomplishing. And I want every ounce of my physical, emotional, and spiritual energy to cooperate with what the Lord God of heaven wants to do in this city. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not moving to greener pastures. I'm not searching for some great answer. I'm waiting on God. Because I can see what he's up to. I want to be a part of it. So what are you going to pray tomorrow? Going to pray your problems? Or are you going to pray the glory of God? It will all depend on what you see. Lord God, open our eyes that we could see. Open my eyes, almighty God, that I could see the invisible God, even as Moses could see you. Lord, it's not by chance that you chose to have him come to heaven with you. Or that he came down to stand on the Mount of Transfiguration with you, Jesus. Because he was a man who could see. I pray today, Lord God, that you would give me eyes that see and ears to hear. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen.
Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195, or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. The cross upon which Jesus died Is a shelter in which we can hide And His grace so free Is sufficient for me And deep is the fountain that's wide as the sea There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross for you Though millions have come That's still room for Yes, there's room at the cross for you. Though millions have found him a friend And have turned from their old life of sin Till the Savior awaits To open the gates To welcome the lost Before it's too late There's room at the cross for you Yes, there's room at the cross for you have come that's still room for one yes there's room at the cross for you there's room at the cross for you yes there's still room for one yes there's room at the cross for you there's room at the cross room at the cross for